It's been a while since I've filled in on the Mark Madden show, you know, pandemic and that. So I don't want to do three hours today about the Steelers and how the sky is falling. The sky is falling. First of all, you know, if the sky is falling, no doubt Eric Ebron or Deontay Johnson would drop it. Secondly, they play the Bengals, and I'm back next Wednesday, too. So I don't want to spend three hours trashing the Steelers, then turn around and come back in next week and hear all of you say, See you, little shrimp! The Steelers are good! Ben isn't washed up! The offense is fine, they can run, the receivers can catch, the defense isn't broken! See you, little elf! Don't you have to do work at the North Pole? See! 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 Hey, Mark has his, See, fat ass! People on Twitter about his size, I have mine about my size on Twitter, it's really not all that different. You know, usually mine come out this time of year when I walk through a mall and people ask me why I'm not getting kids in line at the Santa display. They still doing that this year or do you have to like Zoom with Santa? How does that work exactly? I know, Mark's a big guy, I'm too short, and you citizens, you're really clever and creative in how you remind us of that. I am Tim Benz and I'm in for Mark today on 105.9 The X. Liverpool is on a three, that's in part why Mark is not here today. You will not be getting live virtual play-by-play of Liverpool soccer today. However, Syracuse basketball is playing against Northeastern right now. And if I can figure out a way to get the friggin' ACC network on in this place, you might get some live reaction to that. Now then, what I said earlier is important to note. The Steelers do play the Bengals this week, and for as bad as some teams on the schedule have been for the Steelers, the Cowboys, the Jaguars, two-thirds of Baltimore's roster in the COVID Bowl, These Bengals at this stage might be the worst, especially with Joe Burrow injured. Now, how do I know this? Well, they just lost the Cowboys 30-7. That's how. They made Andy Dalton look like the quarterback they always thought Andy Dalton could be when he was playing with them for all those years in the first place. The Bengals have managed all of 50 points in the last five games, so you do the math or have somebody else do it for you. Even the Steelers' awful point production the last few weeks beats that score. So the Steelers will win this week. In fact, the Bengals are so bad, they might not even be the best football team in Cincinnati. If you put the Bearcats on the field against the Bengals, I bet the University of Cincinnati wins or at least covers. Dan Horde does play-by-play for both teams. He joins me at 3.35 to discuss the upcoming game for the Steelers and Bengals. And we might get into some college football playoff talk, too. I think there's some interesting college football conversation to have today. But Dan will tell us about the Bengals and why this should be the ultimate get-right game for the Steelers. The Bengals are so bad that Mike Tomlin didn't even bother talking about them in his Tuesday press conference. And no one asked a single question about the opposition. Not one question. And Tomlin... Didn't even do his usual chapter and verse, player-by-player breakdown of the depth chart, who's good in each position. All he said was Monday Night Football, AFC North game, they'll be energized, chance for them to get a feel-good moment, and that was it. It was almost as if Tomlin said to himself, not even I can spin some BS about how good these guys are, and I'm best served not saying anything at all if I can't say something nice. Good call, Mike. Now then, maybe remind Juju not to dance on the logo at midfield so he doesn't fire them up either. Although Juju has said he's going to do that again, continue to do so. He said so today. 
during an interview session, and we'll get to that a little bit later on. But whatever the case, even if the Steelers win comfortably, that doesn't mean that their issues are solved, particularly on offense. Look at the Jacksonville game, a team almost as bad as the Bengals. The offense put up, what was it, 27 points that day, and then the crash started to occur the next game against the Ravens. Now look at the previous Cincy game, for instance. You can look at that one. They put up 36 in that one. This team has only posted, what, 46 combined the last three games and is, I, I think, faced better teams and better coaches in that stretch. So what I'm getting at is other teams have learned how to adjust to what the Steelers were doing to get by on offense and put up points against poor competition. Frankly, I don't think this is going to be a blowout on Monday night, but I'm sure the Steelers win. You know, Last year it was similar circumstance. And the Steelers went to Cincy and the game was tied 10-10 in the fourth quarter. Maybe something like that happens again. You remember that crazy play where Minka picked up the loose ball after Devin Bush stripped it from Tyler Boyd? They needed that to turn the game around, but the Steelers will win, I'm sure of it, and they will clinch the AFC North, which sets up this question from Mark Cabali of The Athletic. He tweeted, The Steelers can clinch the AFC North before even taking the field Monday in Cincinnati. If they do clinch with a Browns loss Sunday night, do they sit some players or at least lessen their snap counts on Monday? My guess would be no. I say, Mark, you don't need to guess. That's not going to happen, nor should it. What do you think? 412-333-9939. First off, I think it's a moot point. The Browns aren't going to lose on Sunday. What, they're playing the Giants, right? So they play the Giants who mustered all of one touchdown against Arizona. The Browns are in a spot where I think clearly they're better than most teams but they aren't as good as the top five or six in the AFC. So while they got exposed versus Baltimore, I think they win this week. I think they do make the playoffs, and then I think they lose in the first round of the playoffs. As the Steelers will beat the Bengals, the AFC North will be theirs anyway by Tuesday morning. So while Caboli's question is a week premature, it raises a discussion about the next two games versus Indy and Cleveland. Jeremy Fowler of ESPN is going to be on to talk about this at 4 o'clock. Actually, more like 4.40, but he's going to join us to look at the playoff race a little bit. The Chiefs have the Saints, Falcons, and Chargers left. In all likelihood, their only chance of losing in the last three games is against the Saints this weekend. And even if they lose that one, they'd have to lose one more for the Steelers to catch them for the one seed, even if the Steelers do win their last two. That's via tiebreakers and largely the result of their respective Bills games head-to-head. So if KC beats New Orleans Sunday, that's where I think Kabali's question of limiting playing time or snap counts for starters comes into play a bit more tangibly. Because there is a school of thought out there that especially with the lack of talent disparity in the AFC among the wildcard teams and no home field advantage really with no fans in the stands, that if you aren't first, you might as well be seventh. Or if you're not first, at least fourth. I mean, so long as you win a division and are guaranteed at least one home playoff game. I mean, I get it. I understand. But if you can chase second place, I would think in the conference for as long as possible, why not do it? Even if it's Buffalo, why travel with the COVID risks if you don't have to? 
And more importantly, don't you have an offense to fix? Don't you want to see what offense you can and can't run versus some of the teams that you might see in the playoffs in a week or two anyway? I mean, there are some people out there supporting this notion of, ah, just rest guys. They haven't had a bye. They got their bye skipped. They've had to play 13 weeks in a row. Blah, blah, blah. All that stuff. they got to fix an offense. They've got a broken offense. And they've got an opportunity to play at least two playoff quality teams after Cincinnati to see if and how they can fix it. Now, I know some people are going to say, no, the Steelers need to save everything they're doing in the playbook so they could do it against the Colts and Browns in the postseason, not in the regular season, just in case they see them in the playoffs. Right. Because they've been sitting on a big old bag of offensive tricks this whole time these last six weeks when they can't move the ball. They've been in don't-do-it-on-purpose mode and ignoring all the good plays that they've had at their disposal, so they intentionally lost at Buffalo just in case they have to play him again in the playoffs. They're softening him up for the postseason. Oh, Mike Tomlin, you sneaky master genius, you. Play the games to win. Start the starters. They'll beat the Bengals on Monday. I have no doubt. Then I think they'll lose to Indy, and I have no idea what they do versus the Browns. It depends on who's healthy, and it depends on what the game means at that point. In the unlikely event that the Steelers can't move up or down versus Cleveland, you know that, that then becomes a different story in Week 17. If things are so ironclad already in the AFC by that point, then yeah, rest your starters. If it's the difference between Seed 2 or Seed 3, Seed 3 and Seed 4... It's a coin flip. I probably play my starters and maybe beat the Browns into the seven hole so they'll get to play them again the next week. That might not be a bad idea. But these permutations, these configurations are so complicated. You're talking about like six teams aside from Kansas City, maybe seven in the mix, all their varying schedules, all their varying tiebreaker formulas, all their varying fractions of games and so forth that have to take place to figure out who's getting in that even picking your opponent and trying to figure out where the softest spot to land if you're not Kansas City with the bye that just gets too complicated but if they do rest guys against Cleveland if it gets that far don't start Rudolph there please don't just don't start Rudolph start Dobbs or Duck do we need that circus with Miles Garrett as a way to ring out 2020? I, I don't think so. So, Kabali posed the question. The Steelers have the Bengals. I, I don't think it's going to come into play this week. This is going to be a win for the Steelers. This is an opportunity for them to get right somewhat offensively. You know, Mike Tomlin talked about parsing out snaps with T.J. Watt. I think that's fanning the flames of this conversation a little bit. But what could it possibly be? about the Steelers that you've seen for the last six weeks, not just the two losses, the last six weeks, that makes you think, you know what, resting the players is a good idea before we figure out what we're doing on offense. Because as you heard from Ben Roethlisberger today, the elbow's fine. The knee is fine. He's 100% healthy. Okay, then how come they can't complete a deep ball? If he's 100% healthy then how come they're not trying any intermediate shots? If he's 100% fine, 
then why are they throwing the ball in 1.92 seconds all the time to protect him? From what then? Because this isn't adding up. In a way, when I heard Ben say today, my knee's fine, my elbow's fine, it made me even more concerned because then I thought to myself, well, what's the problem then? If it isn't a health thing, how are they going to get it right? Uh, they're certainly not going to get it right by resting guys against Indy and Cleveland after they beat the Bengals, as is being advanced now on Twitter, and some people are agreeing with. So what do you think? 412-333-9939. When we come back, we'll mix in some hockey talk, too, here on 105.9 The X, your home for the Pens. Eventually, hopefully, they'll be playing again, and odds are out for the postseason awards already. Where do Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, Chris Letang, and Mike Sullivan all rank in those discussions? I'll have that answer for you when we come back. And Juju's comments about dancing on the logo. He says he's going to continue doing it, should he? We talk about that next as well. Tim Benz in for Mark Madden. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. None of what you're saying is reasonable. It's laughable. Ah! You're already dumb. Let's see if you can go to dumber. The X at 105.9. Gonna get to Juju dancing on the Bills logo in just a second, and I guess he's getting ready to figure out how he can do that against Cincinnati, too. That's on the way. Also, Dan Horde, play-by-play voice of the Cincinnati Bengals and Cincinnati Bearcats. He's on the way later on. I want to talk some college football in the playoff. Uh, in the program, too, but I, I noticed this yesterday. I got an email in my Trib Live email box. Tim Benz for Breakfast Benz here on 105.9 The X and for Mark today from betonline.ag. They pumped out their preseason NHL trophy awards. Uh, just real quick to tell you that because they had their uh, Super Bowl odds in here, too. The Steelers went from 8-1 uh, to one to 12-1. to one. Chiefs still the favorite at 9-5 to five to start Week 15. So, Bet Online has its NHL Trophy Awards. Connor McDavid, the favorite to win the heart. That's not a surprise at 4 to 1, followed by Nathan McKinnon 5 to 1, Leon Draisaitl 8 to 1. Sidney Crosby is 20 to 1 and Evgeny Malkin is 25 to 1. That's not enough to induce me to throw some money down of substance on either of those two going into this season. Malkin is also 25 to 1 to win the Art Ross as the NHL's top scorer. Crosby's number is a little bit more narrow there. I guess if he's right and things work out with Gensel and McKinnon, excuse me, not McKinnon, huh, wishful thinking, <laughs> Kapanen, then yeah, he could accumulate points as he always does. So it makes more sense that he'd be a little bit more narrow on the Art Ross list, 16 to 1. McDavid, the favorite to win that one too, at 11 to 4. I didn't bother to notice what the Oilers were to win the cup, though, because there's no defensive odds anywhere here listed. I didn't even see the Selkie winner anywhere on this list. Chris Letang, 18-1 to win the Norris. Uh, Roman Yossi is the favorite of 4-1. to one. The goalies, stunningly Tristan Jari way down the list. I didn't even see where he was. Um, I didn't even see where Matt Murray was either. I didn't look for Ottawa. But Vasilevsky and Connor Hellebuck at 6-1 to one are the co-favorites to win the Vesna. And this is the one that I laugh at. Barry Trotz is the favorite at 6-1. to one to win the Jack Adams Award as Coach of the Year. If you're the favorite to win the Coach of the Year, you're never going to win it. Because 
those awards, the Coach of the Year award, always goes to somebody that's not expected to have a good season. Like, you know, Bill Be- Bill Belichick, how many Coach of the Year awards did he win after the Patriots started winning all those Super Bowls? Like, did Chuck Noll ever win one? I don't know if Chuck Noll ever won one. Like, usually that award goes to somebody who's off the beaten path. If you're the favorite to win the Coach of the Year, you're never going to win it. The smartest money is way down the list on those. You find somebody who's like 100 to 1, and that's how you cash in. Sullivan, by the way, is 13th on the list at 16 to 1. So maybe there's some smart money there. But usually in the case of the Penguins, and I think with all the star power that they have, no one acts surprised if they're ever any good. Although this year would probably be the year. To that end, I saw NBC dot com nhlnbc.com adam gretz wrote up something a little while ago about jim rutherford is he still a top 10 general manager in the nhl i suppose that depends on your perspective really among those currently employed if you look at career achievement because the way that gretz described it it was you know career achievement overall versus the job you're currently doing i mean he's probably number one given that he's won three stanley cups between two franchises but given some questionable trades and signings over the last three years to be generous maybe not um he was listed eighth on this list gmjr which given the combination of factors that's out there that that seems right to me on one hand i looked the list and i saw you know rutherford should be higher than any of the guys in the top five when you consider career lifetime achievement for the reasons i just gave but based on where the penguins sit right now what their prospects look like for the next few years and their early playoff exits in recent seasons, I think top 10 might be too generous. So maybe eighth is about right if you balance it out. And Penguins fans can hope that some of these moves that Rutherford made this offseason will turn out better than what the analytics types are expecting this season whenever that may be. And it can't get here fast enough because I'm on Twitter yesterday and I see the news come out about Kenny Pickett going back to Pitt I I was double-checking and triple-checking to make sure they didn't misspell Dan Marino as Kenny Pickett. Like, who's getting the extra year here? Are we going back in time, and is Marino coming back, or is Pickett coming back? Like, because he's a nice quarterback. He's a decent player. He'll help Pitt, but they're a five-loss team at least every year for the past 11, and he's been a part of this for the last couple, like, What's what's Kenny Pickett going to do? Come back and get you to beat Clemson in the ACC championship game and go to the college football playoff? You'd think that was the effect based on the Twitter reaction and some of the talking points today on the radio. It's just, it's a nice story. It's good for Pitt. It helps the program. Uh, Okay, fine. Maybe they're nine and four next year instead of eight and five. Good for them. But let's not make too much of this. I mean, the celebration on Twitter is like, oh my God. Yeah, you know, they decided to get like the spawn of Peyton Manning, Aaron Rodgers, and Ben Roethlisberger's kid, and, and he signed a letter of intent. I mean, he's Kenny Pickett. He's good. He's okay. He's better than what they would have had. It's it's good news. But the reaction was like, oh my god, this cinches it. They're better than Clemson. Easy. Got shirtless Tom, who's a big Pitt fan across the studio. He does not have a shirt on, but he's got his Pitt Nick cap, and I think that's why. Crying tears of joy for Kenny Pickett coming back. All right, quickly here, Juju, before we get to uh, Dan Horde. 
Juju, here's uh, here's how it was written by Joe Rudder, my colleague at the Trib. Juju Smith-Schuster on dancing on the Bills logo. I'm not going to stop being myself. I'm going to be the Juju I came in to be. I plan to keep doing it. Did the Buffalo Bills beat the Pittsburgh Steelers because Juju danced on the logo? No. The Bills beat the Steelers because the Bills are better than the Steelers. And if they played on a neutral field with with fans, without fans, at Heinz Field, even with fans, I'd still pick the Bills right now. That's not why the Steelers lost. Was Mike Mitchell yelling down the hallway at the Jacksonville Jaguars before the playoff game the reason why they lost? Were Lev's tweets after the playoff bye week, during the playoff bye week, about the Jacksonville Jaguars and, and the bracket, is that why the Steelers lost to Jacksonville. No. But why bother trying to help? Why give it to him? What's the need to do it? Like, when he was in Dallas, he, he wanted to do it in-game. If James Conner doesn't stop Juju from doing it in Dallas, it might be Juju that gets the flag for taunting instead of the Cowboys. Why do it? You know, it's like Josh Allen said, dance afterwards. You go to Buffalo, you beat the Bills, dance, TikTok, post whatever you want online. What's the point of doing it beforehand? People always want to defend Juju for stuff like this and say, well, what's wrong with it? What's the big deal? I respond by saying, what's the friggin' point? Why bother doing it in the first place? Whether it's infinitesimal or the biggest reason why the opponent wins, why give them anything? Like, if he's going to do it to Cincinnati, this team wants to roll over and die. This team would prefer to have the last three weeks go by as fast as possible. If one player is the least bit motivated by Juju doing that, all you're doing is helping them, and you're helping no one on your own team but yourself with your friggin' clicks on TikTok or whatever they are, views. I don't I don't TikTok. Whatever it is. Like, Juju's biggest selling point to me, beyond, for the fan base, beyond being physical, good blocker, Good possession receiver with better speed than anybody gave him credit for. Excellent second receiver. His biggest selling point seemed to be he's not A.B. He's a team guy. He's a team first guy. He's not about himself. He doesn't do the stuff that A.B. does. He's not a diva wide receiver. But when you go third person and say, I'm going to be the juju I came in to be. I'm not going to stop being myself. I plan to keep doing it. That's making it about you. That's blue cleats at halftime. That's sliding down the goalpost. That's celebrating even though you're going to get a 15-yard penalty. That is about it being about you and not about the team. Why bother doing it is my point. Everybody wants to say, what's the big deal? I respond by, why bother? Why is it necessary? For friggin' TikTok. 412-333-9939. When we come back, Dan Horde. Not only will we talk about what the Bengals do or don't have left for the Steelers, but he does play-by-play for the Bearcats, too. And I think he's going to be on the same page with me when it comes to this college football playoff thing. We'll discuss when we come back. That's next on 105.9 The X. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. You don't have an option. You think it's the you show? It's the me show. Hey, what's up, Mark? Come on. The lights, the robe, the hair, the woo! The X at 105.9. Mark Madden Show brought to you by CW Electrical Services. Make the switch at CWElectricalServices.com and by Shenderovich, Shenderovich and Fishman. They got your back, not your wallet. Add them in for Mark tomorrow. 
Don't know the score of the Liverpool game. I do know that Syracuse is losing right now on the ACC network, which I cannot see, which is good for everybody right now, given the circumstances since I'm hosting the show, and they're losing to North friggin' Eastern. So that can't possibly be going well. Um, we are trying to track down Dan Horde, the play-by-play voice of the Cincinnati Bengals and the Cincinnati Bearcats. Uh, Dan has been doing both jobs for a long time right now, and I'm not all that interested necessarily in breaking down the X's and O's of what the Bengals do and don't have. It's essentially what I'm trying to figure out is how much fight they have left. I know Geno Atkins, also the latest to go on injured reserve, and it just looks like the plug has been pulled on any sort of enthusiasm that they had on the season once Joe Burrow went out. And if you look at that offense right now, they've only put up 50 points in the last five games so even the Steelers should be able to outgun them there I'm actually a little bit more interested just as interested to talk to Dan whenever we do get him if we can't get him here we'll get him later on in the show about the Cincinnati Bearcats he does play-by-play for them as well and if you look at the college football playoff and this has gotten a lot of conversation today in the last couple days as I think it should you know if ever there was a year for college football to include the little guy If ever there was a year for the college football playoff to go off the grid and get away from a Power 5-dominated school or schools, then this is it, right? I mean, isn't 2020 essentially a punt on everything anyway? Like, this whole mentality of you got to get Ohio State in because they are perceived to be at least one of the top four teams, okay, perceptibly they are. But five or six wins... How does that equate? Like, I heard some of the SEC and ACC coaches complaining this week. Why are we killing ourselves to get all of our games in when basically we could have taken it easy on ourselves and gotten in like Ohio State did? Why did we bother doing that? It's a fair point. And, you know, is the college football playoff better with, like, Texas A&M or Florida in it as opposed to Ohio State? Is the quality of team any better? No, No, it isn't. Ohio State probably is a better team, but at what point, when it comes to college football, at any point, does the matter of deserve come into play? Like, I've, I've even heard it advanced, and I can't believe this one came up, but I've even heard it advanced that if Clemson should lose to Notre Dame a second time, Clemson should still get into the playoff. What's the point of even playing the games that mean one redo is enough? Getting two redos in there is ludicrous. And... If you want to sort of quiet or quell the concerns that college football tends to have about the mid-majors not getting their due and not getting their chance when the college football playoff rolls around, if they want to quell that and put it, this is the year to do it. Put Cincinnati in. This is the year to do it. Put Coastal Carolina in. You know, put one of these schools in that... In 2020, in a pandemic season where everything is kind of off the grid anyway and no one knows how to make sense of it, this is the year to put them in there, put them against Notre Dame or Clemson or Alabama and get their doors blown off. And then that way, the next time it comes around a conversation, maybe the outcry isn't as much, well, well, they're just as good. Look at their record. Then it's easier to say, no, we're going to put the Power 5 team in there. I mean, it's just, I get why everybody else, even some of the schools in Power 5 situations, I get why everybody else is looking at this at this point and saying, 
well, geez, if Ohio State's just going to get in for playing a fraction of the schedule, then what does deserve have to do with any of it? Why are we bothering looking at strength of schedule? Why are we bothering looking at how many games we got in? How many, what does a win mean if their five means just as much as our nine? You know, are they the fourth best team? One of the four best? Yeah, they probably are. But this is essentially the real-life version of what we were talking about for weeks and weeks and weeks with the Steelers about being 11-0 and what that really meant. Were they really the best team in football? Perception versus reality. Well, now you're taking the perception of Ohio State and you're making it reality, whether or not they really deserve to be there or not. And to even have the conversation, to even float out the notion that a team like Clemson, if they lose to the same club again, so what if they beat Notre Dame, excuse me, what if they lose to Notre Dame a second time, then get them in the playoff and beat them then? Are, are they really the champion because they beat them in a playoff format? Is, is that what matters? Because if that's the case, then open it up to more teams in the playoff. Get eight teams in there. Because that to me is the greatest argument yet to expand the playoff format. If you're going to do that, and you're going to make the postseason games count so much more than the regular season, you are diluting the greatest argument that college football has always had about what it is about. It's about the importance of the regular season. So I know everything's herky-jerky, and I know everything feels different about what meaning really means. So if you're going to do that, then this year, more than ever, is the year for Coastal Carolina or for Cincinnati. 412-333-9939. We'll try to hook up with Dan later. We'll get him later on in the program. When we come back, the hardest job in Pittsburgh sports has been handed out. Also, kind of an interesting tidbit about the Pittsburgh Pirates and where they might be going with that number one pick that they now have. We'll do that before the top of the hour. Tim Ben's in for Mark Madden. Now the super genius, Mark Madden. You live by the ass, you die by the ass. Well, I wanted to see what your thoughts were on that subject. Wait a minute, prostitution's illegal? The X at 105.9. Tim Ben's in for Mark. We have tracked down Dan Horde, the play-by-play voice of the Cincinnati Bengals and the Cincy Bearcats. Dan, great to catch up with you again. How you been? Tim, I'm good. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. You bet. Uh, I was speaking before the commercial break about uh, not just your job calling games for the Bengals, but also the Bearcats, too. The floor is yours. Uh, would you like to make, to make a pitch for the Bearcats getting into the national uh, championship semifinals, at least? You know what? I don't think that they should be in the top four right now, but the fact that they've been passed by three teams that have two losses and keep going backward when they haven't been able to play due to COVID-19, whereas other teams either stay where they are or, in Iowa State's case, move up under the exact same circumstances, it is ridiculous. It is not a playoff. It is not a tournament. It is the Power power 5 Invitational. That's what the college football Final Four is. It is you are either in our club or you are not, and we are not going to share that loot. That's kind of how I feel, too. I do feel, if any year, Dan, to go outside of the usual, to go off the grid and take a team that's not in the Power Five, this is it. It's 2020. Why not make it the Bearcats or Coastal Carolina or something like that, especially since you know the Big Ten team in question in Ohio State has barely played any games so far? 
Well, I agree with that. And when I say that I don't think Cincinnati belongs in the, in the top four, I'm saying that right now. When the first uh, rankings came out, they were seventh. And at that point, I said, all right, if they take care of business and win the remaining games and things fall into place, then they would deserve a shot at the final four. And, I mean, the, the circumstances I, were, I was talking about then still – conceivably exist. Clemson could lose a second game. Ohio State could lose in the Big Ten championship game. Things along those lines, to me, would have given Cincinnati a chance if the Bearcats remained undefeated. So like you, in this year, where there's so many unusual things going on and teams playing different number of games, etc., I do think this is a year where a team like Cincinnati legitimately could deserve a shot. Now, here's the big concern or question, rather, that Steeler fans have. Are the Bearcats actually the best football team in Cincinnati? <laughs> well, they've certainly played like the best football team in Cincinnati. And uh, with Desmond Ritter at quarterback, and who knows who's going to be at quarterback for the uh, Bengals on Monday night, it might not be that far-fetched as it uh, would normally seem. Well, I was going to ask you about that first and foremost. Again, Dan Horner, our guest, the play-by-play voice of both the Bearcats and Bengals. Here on the Mark Madden Show, Tim Benz in for Mark and the X. Who is going to go at quarterback? I saw that Allen got hurt last week. Is it back to Ryan Finley, who the Steelers saw last year? It could be. I don't think we're going to know the answer to that question until Monday, quite honestly. Uh, We're not allowed to watch much of practice. I don't think the Bengals would come out and say if they're unsure or or maybe even if they are. All I know is that Brandon Allen was limping pretty badly when he came out of that game last Sunday. And because of that, and the fact that he's got a uh, a bruised knee, sounded pretty painful. Uh, I, I don't think we're going to know. I, I do know this: Brandon Allen is uh, much more capable of giving the Steelers a tough game uh, than Ryan Finley has displayed to this point of his NFL career. AJ Green finally scored a touchdown. I believe that was just his second one of the season. This might be—is this their last home game, by the way, Dan? Or do they have they have two road games after this, or do they have one more after this? They conclude the season with a home game against Baltimore. Okay, so they get Baltimore at home, so he'll have at least one more home game. Not like it'll be played in front of a lot of fans or any fans, but um, are are we seeing the end of A.J. Green in in Cincinnati, do you think? It certainly sounded that way. He did a Zoom call with reporters after the game and was asked a wide variety of questions, trying to, to basically get him to say what he intended to do at the end of this season. And he didn't come right out and say that this is it, but he certainly implied that this is it. It's been a rough year for him. Uh, He hasn't played particularly well once Joe Burrow was out. They haven't really thrown him the ball very much. They did last week. He had a good game, six catches, including the touchdown that you mentioned, about 62 yards. I don't know what the problem is. I don't know if A.J. has lost his juice at this stage of his career after missing the last year and a half. I don't know if he doesn't really grasp Zach Taylor's offense as well as he did with the uh, offensive coordinators that came before. But for whatever reason, he has not played well at all. And because I like him so much personally, whether it's in Cincinnati or somewhere else, uh, I I hope he can find what made him such a great player because it's been hard to watch. What are they going to do, Dan, running the football? Uh, Is it Trayvon Williams? Is it Samaje Pirine? Bernard? What are they doing these days? I think it'll be all of the above. They rotated those guys basically every series last week. Giovanni Bernard fumbled on their opening series, and then Travion Williams came in. So everybody said, oh, my gosh, they're punishing a veteran like Giovanni Bernard for fumbling. Well, it turned out that they planned to rotate those guys throughout the game. 
So I think that's probably what they're going to do. Travion Williams played pretty well, but he had never carried the ball until the first Pittsburgh game this year. Uh, Samaj P. Ryan is a good, you know, short yardage type guy, somebody that can uh, punish the defense with his size and physicality, but I don't think he's somebody who's going to give the ball to 25 times. So I would suspect that uh, all three of those guys will probably get roughly the same number of carries. And Atkins, I saw, he's going on IR, is that correct? That is correct. That just came out today, so Gino will not play for the rest of this season. He has not played well at all this year. He hurt his shoulder in training camp and has been a shell of his former self. Doesn't have a sack, only has one quarterback hit. I give him credit. He tried to gut it out and keep playing, but unfortunately because of the bad shoulder, he was, uh, he was playing with one arm all year. What do the Bengals have defensively to challenge the Steelers? Because it looks like offensively, Dan, the Steelers are doing a good job of challenging themselves. <laughs> well, they've got a few guys that have actually had excellent seasons. If you uh, value pro football focuses, ratings at all, they've got Jesse Bates ranked as the number one safety in the NFL by a wide margin. He's had an excellent year. Uh, Will Johnson is the 17th-ranked cornerback in the NFL. He's had a very good year. I think Von Bell is good at what he does. A very good in-the-box safety, not a great coverage guy, but really good close to the line of scrimmage. Carl Lawson is among the NFL leaders in quarterback hits, although he has not been able to generate a bunch of sacks. He's got four and a half, uh, but he's got more than 20 quarterback hits. Sam Hubbard has been solid. He missed several games with an elbow injury, but when he plays, he generally plays pretty well. So that's a decent core on defense. Uh, their defensive tackles aren't very good after the uh, injury to a DJ Reader and, you know, Geno Atkins, as I mentioned, not playing very well. And their linebackers are young. But by and large, the defense has played reasonably well. You've been calling Bengal games now, Dan, for how long? This is year 10. Year 10. All right. So, and, and I know that you've been in Cincinnati for a long time. You've seen most of Ben Roethlisberger's career as the Steelers quarterback. Do you believe, do, do your eyes tell you what you think your brain is seeing when you see this offense right now with Ben Roethlisberger with all these short passes, not much deep intermediate stuff at all? And what do you think of what you see? And maybe your, your broadcast partner, Dave Lapham, was called a lot of Bengal Steelers games over the year. What, what do you guys think of what you're seeing from the Steelers offense? You know, I think until a couple of weeks ago, Ben looked fine to me. I mean, he doesn't look like early career Ben, but in some ways that's a good thing. I was looking through the stats the other day, and, you know, there was a stretch early in his career where he typically got sacked 45 times a year. You don't want that at this stage of his career. The running game has been so bad that they've replaced it with a short passing game. So I know when you're 11-0 and and then you lose a couple games, including a game to Washington, panic sets in. But I wouldn't be uh, all that concerned if I'm a Steelers fan. I don't think they're as good as the Chiefs, but I think they're as good as anybody else in the AFC. Finally, Dan, as far as the enthusiasm surrounding the Bengals, when last we spoke, I know you were on uh, the Trib Live podcast with me, we were talking about how you felt if it was a real year with fans of the stands despite the Bengals' record, there'd be tons of enthusiasm and excitement because of who Joe Burrow is and what he means to the future of the team. Now that he has been hurt and the plug has been pulled there, what's it been like around Cincinnati since his injury? Not good. A combination of anger and apathy, quite honestly. I think once Joe got hurt, 
some people stopped watching, and the people that have continued watching have been really upset by what they've seen. I mean, the Bengals have been just awful on offense without Joe Burrow, and the question is, did he just mask a lot of problems? I guess that's probably the answer. Or are there other quarterbacks that bad? Uh, Brandon Allen actually played pretty well last week before he hurt his knee. So I think it's the former. I think Joe Burrow masked a lot of the problems that they have on defense or on offense, rather. Uh, they were okay while he was out there, and they've been really lousy without him. I meant to ask this earlier, Dan, and I didn't. I, I forgot, but I saw a bunch of fans in the stands for the Cleveland game against Baltimore. Can the Bengals have some fans in the stands, or no? Is it different in Cincinnati? They can, yep. They can have 10,000, roughly. It's about, uh, well, I guess it's about a sixth of mm-hmm. capacity. Twenty, Maybe it's a fifth, 20%. I don't remember the actual number. Uh, but it's going to be about 10,000 fans. I think uh, by state law they could have up to 12,000, but with the social distancing and the way the stadium is let, laid out, they've only been able to get in about 10,000. So that will be the number on Monday night. Well, then I will encourage Steelers fans to go to Cincinnati because it might be their last look at them this season live, potentially, before they go to the playoffs. I mean, we've seen Steelers fans take over Paul Brown before. Uh, maybe it'll be a pretty even split or, or more Steelers fans on, on Monday. What do you think? Yeah, I don't think you have to encourage them. I think they're going to be here on Monday night. Uh, I think Bengals fans that have those tickets, knowing it's going to be cold and that their team only has two wins, will be very happy to uh, sell them to a Steelers fan that wants them. All right, Dan, thanks a lot for the time. I appreciate it. I know you got a lot going on between uh, the Bengals, the Bearcats, football, basketball, too. Um, I appreciate you carving out some time for us. No worries. Always enjoy it. Thanks, Tim. All right, Dan Hort, play-by-play voice of the Bengals and the Cincy Bearcats, both football and basketball. So Dan's a little bit less fired up than I thought he would be about college football. We'll get back into that, though. I'll play back some of his comments at some point about the Bearcats and where they are overall uh, in the grand scheme of things, them in Coastal Carolina, too. We'll get back into that conversation. But in just 30 seconds, Ben Roethlisberger spoke about his health today. You will hear what he said next right here on the Mark Madden Show. Abby on the 